Well, in a moment, we get to hear, we have the opportunity of hearing from our executive pastor, Pastor Andrew Francine. So church, if you would join me as I pray for the message and for us. Father God, I thank you for the church. God, the church is your plan A for the spread of the gospel. It is not plan B or plan C. God, you have designed the church to be the light, the city on a hill. And God, I thank you for the believers here that make up this church. Father, I pray and I think and I'm reminded of the persecuted church who today, tonight, will be meeting in secret. We'll be meeting uh, behind closed doors in the darkness of night, studying the word and singing hymns together. God, we think of those brothers and sisters, which a knock on the door could mean persecution. It could mean execution. Lord, it could even mean imprisonment. So God, we think of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the country who are having to endure this. God, our brothers and sisters in Christ in China or North Korea. God, we think of them. God, I pray specifically this morning for the person in this congregation who feels very far away from you, God, for whatever it may be. God, maybe this person has forgotten your goodness. Maybe they have forgotten your love. Maybe they have forgotten the kindness of Jesus. God, through the preached word as Andrew brings it this morning, may they encounter the Jesus of the Bible who is gentle and lowly in heart. May those in here who have exceedingly big doubts, may they cling to the Savior's hands and touch his nail-scarred hands and his side. And like Doubting Thomas say, my Lord and my God. Lord, we pray for that. Lord, as we hear the message today, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be ready to receive it that our, the soil of our heart would be softened, that we would accept this word and take it. God, that we would move in obedience towards what you have for us today in the word of God. So may we find comfort, may we find hope, may we find refuge, because the word of God is all we have. Anoint Andrew today as he brings the word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Dan. Great to be with you this morning. If you have a Bible, let me just invite you to turn to Second Peter. Second Peter, in your Bible, on your device, you can tap and scroll your way to, uh, to Second Peter chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 3 to 5 uh, this morning. Glad to be here in this uh, text this morning. Peter is uh, focused on the return of Christ and the need for patience until Christ comes. And in this letter, he's going to talk about that. He's also going to talk about the growing popularity of false teachers. That there are people who claim Jesus and thump the Bible and do all sorts of things, but actually they reject Jesus. And, um, but before he gets there, in 2 Peter 1, Peter wants to anchor us as Christ's followers. He wants to anchor us. He wants to give us security in our relationship with Christ. He wants us to have confidence that Christ is ours and that we are his, that we belong to him. 
And so we are going to be in 2 Peter and uh, just looking at that text. If you don't have a Bible with you, not a problem. Follow along as I read our passage this morning. Peter writes, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. What a massive statement that is. We're going to soak in that this morning. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of him, that is Christ, who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises. He's given us everything we need. He's given us promises. So that through these promises we may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Then Peter says, verse 5, if you're following along, really tight link between verses 5 and what he just said. For this very reason, Peter says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual or brotherly affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure more and more, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, Peter says, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and your election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Long text. We're just going to look at those first three verses, verses three, four, and five. And you see that we're going to be talking about grace and grit. And I, run, I recognize that some of you are so Southern that you're seeing grace and grits. But it's just grace that God has given to us and grits. Effort. We're going to key in this morning on that specific application that Peter makes to make every effort to add to our faith knowledge. That is to grow. What I think that we'll see this morning from Peter is this. His encouragement to us as to the Christians almost 2,000 years ago is to let every grace fuel every conceivable Effort. Let every grace from Christ fuel every effort for Christ. Growing as a Christ follower comes from both grace and grits. Effort. Christ has given you everything you need for a godly life. So, because of this reason, make every effort to grow. Peter starts out by saying that Christ has set us up for success. We are good to go, we might say it. You notice that I don't have a TV screen. Some of you are looking at me like, he forgot his TV screen. Uh, Richard is more comfortable with that than I am, and Dean wanted to experiment with lower thirds, and I'm his guinea pig. So there you go. Christ has set us up for success. He says you're good to go for now. Some of your translations say for life and godliness. He's probably talking about a godly life, 
two words describing this same reality. You're good to go for now. And Peter is talking about Christ and his resurrection power. No powerful so powerful as Christ's resurrection. And from that, he has given gifts. And Peter says, you have all that you need. Christ gives us what we need. Christ makes Christians Christ-like. Gives us what we need to live the Christian life. What has he given us? Man, just think about this. What has Christ given us to live the Christian life? Well, he's given us very clear and good instruction in his word. He has given us encouragement, even empowerment to live this Christian journey, to persevere. He said, I'm with you to the end of the ages. But I'm fairly certain that at the top of Peter's mind is a particular gift that he has given us when he says he's given us all that we need for life and godliness. He's thinking of the Holy Spirit of God. The all-holy, all-wise, all-powerful Spirit of God is in you so that you can live this Christian journey. He has given you all that you need. The Spirit of God is this fruit-bearing force of nature, working in us love when we don't want to love and joy when we're down and peace when we're at odds, makes us gentle and meek and faithful and so much more. Jesus Christ himself said to his disciples, it's better if I leave this earth. Because when I do, the Spirit of God is going to come and be in you. Peter says, oh yeah, Christians, you have it so, so good. Christ has given you everything you need to succeed in this Christian journey. The Spirit of God has cleaned our consciences so we can live free from guilt and shame. We can keep pressing on. He's even beginning to recalibrate our consciences so that we are sensitive to all the right things that God wants us to be. We have all that we need. But more than that, he's given us even peace with God so that when our relationships are broken down in this world, we can still put our head on a pillow secure at night that we are at peace with our maker He's also given us the promise of ongoing forgiveness. I mean, Jesus says, when you fall, when you wander away, run back. There's grace still here. Confess your sins, repent, run to obey. You're forgiven. You're good to go for this life. Peter doesn't stop there. He says you're good to go, not only that you have everything you need for a godly life, but he's also given you promises that look through time into eternity. He's made these promises so that you are good to go forever. Peter says you've got precious. He's made precious and very great promises. And I suspect if you're female, you might think of like a precious moments figurine. Guys don't think that as much. But that's not what he's talking about here, a kind of sentimental, boy, this warms my heart, precious promise. No. No, he's talking about precious like precious metal, like gold and like maybe Bitcoin precious. <laughs> Priceless 
precious. These great and priceless promises, and they are priceless because, as the commercial says, you can't buy this. This is from his grace. This is his gift to you. Think about this. We're overwhelmed with how gracious gracious he is to give us what we need for this life. But think about some of these promises. Eternal bliss, feast with God the Father is our destiny. Final salvation, final absolute total freedom from sin is our future. No judgment. Look, no hell though I deserved it. Final rest, final justice for all those who've been oppressed where the justice system has not stepped in. Oh, there will be a final judge. There will be final justice. But there's a particular promise that Peter has in mind. He says there in the rest of verse 4, This promise is a promise of sharing, notice what he says, participating in the divine nature. And Peter's not saying you become little gods because you don't. There's only one God. But he is saying that we see him as he is and we become like our Savior. The promise is, as he describes it, a freedom from the corruption that is in the world And renewed desires. Imagine this because this is our future with Christ. Imagine this. A day where you wake up where the only desire you ever have is the kind of desire that Christ himself would have. And that you are totally free from every twisted, debased, deceitful, evil desire. Free, cleansed. Our wills and our values are completely remade. And how good we have it. This promise is what Christ has made. It's a promise that is sure to come. That is our great hope. That we have heaven, yes, but we have Christ. And this is forever. This is indestructible. Can it get any better? Can it get any better than this? We're good to go for this life. We're good to go for forever. And it's all because of Christ's grace. And how did we get here? How do we come to realize all this grace? And depending on your church tradition, you might ask, what do I do in order to get that? And it's not so much what you do. That's not where Peter focuses. Because this knowledge happens through our knowledge of Christ. We come into this experience through knowing Jesus Christ. This knowledge of Christ is that change from when you know all about Jesus, you've heard about him, you heard about him in the stories, you went to church, maybe you were born and raised in church like I was. And that knowledge about Jesus morphs from information to this kind of intimacy with Jesus Christ that I know that I love him and that more importantly, he loves me. That I know him as savior and king. Through our knowledge of Christ, we got all this. And how did we arrive at this knowledge? Why did we come to want this knowledge? Peter says, what happened is that Christ called you. 
Now, I suspect all of us, when we think of getting a call, we think about our phone. And I don't know if you're like me, depending on your busy schedule, you've got a choice, right? Decline, which is a very nice word. Decline or accept. Accept the call or decline the call. That's not what Peter has in mind, and all commentaries agree on this virtually. Peter is not talking about a call like we sort of pick up. Peter is talking about a call where we are awake even, excuse me, asleep even dead, and the call wakes us up. It's a wake-up call that Christ issues, and we come into this knowledge, again, where information about Jesus becomes a relationship with Jesus, that we know that we want him, that we know that we need him, that he is our Savior and King. I want to invite you, these two verses, I want to invite you, maybe you've not done it in a while, to bask in this grace. Pull out your beach chair, maybe you're just back from the beach, pull out your beach chair, flip-flops, the whole thing, sit back and just bask into that powerful resurrection like the ocean that has secured all this grace and bask in the radiance of his grace. And the story of God's redemption has swept you up into it, claiming you, making you his own. This is all because of grace. One of the things that this means for us, if we believe this, if this is true, it means that It means that we have no excuses, right? If Christ, by his resurrection grace, has given me everything I need to live a godly life, then I have no excuses. It's a reminder that Christ supplies what Christ demands, Last week, Richard did such a good job encouraging us and calling us to live an entire life of love, holy love. And if you heard him and took him seriously, you're thinking, that is shoot for the moon. Like, that's for preacher types. And it is. It is. It is way more and way beyond what you or I in our own strength could do. But Christ has given me everything I need for a Christian life. So there's no excuses. Christ supplies what Christ demands. Because of this, I just want to encourage us to consider three ideas, three very just brief ideas that we might find ourselves thinking and believing. And I just want to encourage us to reject three very bad ideas. Bad idea number one is this, the devil made me do it. Did you use that this last week? Of course not. But maybe at some point you did. The devil made me do it. The devil can't make you do it. This is what scripture itself teaches. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter. Yes, the devil is a roaring lion prowling around. And you remember what he says next? Resist him by standing firm in the faith. And then James picks it up and says this. Hard to imagine. We think of the devil as up there and, whoa, we're no match for him. James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee. 
Resist the devil and he will flee. Because of all of Christ's grace, because of the Holy Spirit, the devil can't make me do it. Let's not say it. Let's not believe it. The devil did not make me do it. Another one is this. I've thought this. No way I can beat this addiction. I'm stuck. I've been stuck for years. Friends, I just want to encourage you. By his divine power, God has given you what you need. And you say, well, why am I still stuck? I'm not certain. It may be what we're going to talk about in a minute. It could be because, as Dan reminded us earlier, that we're not in a kind of community that helps us, presses us on toward Christ-likeness, allows us, we allow ourselves to stay stuck. You can, I just want to encourage you, you can overcome that. Christ has given you what you need to live a godly life. The third thing is this, and I never hear Christians say this actually, but I do wonder if sometimes we believe it. We wonder if Christ is actually sufficient. We might think Christ is insufficient. There's something lacking. Christ must not know this temptation that I'm in. He must not see it. Something's wrong here. Friends, this text reminds us there is no wrong in him. He has given me everything I need for a godly life. So bask in his grace, refuse these excuses. Christ has set us up for a godly life for now and for forever through our knowledge of Christ. But Peter has one specific application in mind. Because of all this grace, because you've been swept up into God's story of salvation that goes forever, Peter has one specific application and it is verse five. Just notice it in your own text. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, and so on, to grow. Because of all this grace, make every effort. Now, when preachers start talking about effort, Christians tend to twitch. You were taught, hopefully, Salvation is all of grace. And I hope you understand from the last 15 minutes, I believe that fully. He is transitioning here from now all that we've received in salvation, knowing Christ. Now, what do we do with it? What does this Christian life look like? What am I to do now? I do think sometimes that we as Christians tend to take too much credit for our salvation and too little responsibility for our growth in Christ. We pat ourselves on the back that we're in the club, part of the church, and then we chill. God has us. Our security is set. I am justified by faith in Christ and that can't be reversed. And that is true. Our relationship with God cannot be reversed. But we've got to ask that further question. What shall we do? How shall I then live? And Peter says, put every effort into it. Let every grace fuel every effort. That is Peter's call here. Now, Peter lays out a process of growth, adding faith to knowledge that will make our process engineers grin. It looks beautiful. It looks very 
symmetrical, one after another, starting with faith, ending with love. And it is important, at, at some point, hopefully we'll get back to that, those virtues, because Peter gives us a little snapshot, uh, snap chat, snapshot. If Peter had Snapchat, this is what would be on it, this little snapshot of a maturing Christian from faith all the way to love. But Peter starts not with how to grow, but how much, how much effort is necessary to grow. You and I both know that this word effort is a gritty word, gritty word, effort. But Peter says, make every effort. It goes beyond gritty. It's like what we would say, blood, sweat, and tears. Richard pointed us to this same idea back in Ephesians 4. Make every effort to live in peace. And Peter is going to come to the end of this letter in 2 Peter in chapter 3 and say, while you're waiting all these promises, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. The phrase literally means bring every effort to this. Put your heart and soul into this Christian journey. Give it everything. Or as my coaches in high school would yell at me mercilessly, leave it all on the field. Push through the pain. And my coaches would yell that, not just at sort of halftime of the championship game, but during two-a-days in August. Do you ever have the privilege of doing two-a-days in August? I was born and raised in Kansas City, Missouri. It's not as hot as Spartanburg, South Carolina, but it's close. And at 6 p.m., after a week of two-a-days, it, you just can't do anything more. And my coach, maybe yours, said, push through the pain. Leave it all in the field. This is where championships are won right here. I still don't believe that. Championships are won in October, November. They, they, they just are. Like, that's just a fact of the way seasons work. But fine, whatever. The world of athletics gives us so many, so many great illustrations of what it means to make every effort to pull out that championship. The time dedicated to shooting free throws, free throws, so monotonous. The time dedicated to practice, to running that route, same simple route, running that route again and again. The time in the gym working out, maybe having a physical trainer like I did named David Curry, 6'5", 250, chiseled out of a piece of ivory, had no heart in him. <laughs> just when you thought you were cranking it out and really doing it, he's like, that's just 30. 30, bro. It's 5.45 a.m. I feel sick. That's just 30. We look at athletes and we're captivated oftentimes because their entire lives are aligned for maximum success in their sport. And it's a, it's a sight to behold. It's impressive. Peter in 2 Peter is inviting us to align all of our lives, all of our efforts for maximum godliness. Put every effort into that. 
Brothers and sisters, you can see this is the opposite of a kind of kicked back coasting Christianity. One that kind of plateaus and then chills to glory. This call is even more than a sort of intentional, deliberate obedience. That's good, but this goes beyond that. Peter's call here is toward straining and stretching, doing everything you possibly can. I can't say it better than a a lady named Jenny Romity, who's actually the first um, CEO of IBM and served there for eight years just this last decade. And I don't know what her faith tradition is, but she got it exactly right and so memorable when she says about business, so true about Christianity, growth and comfort do not coexist. They're enemies. Peter is saying, wherever your Christian comfort zone ends, push that line. Whatever your Christian status quo looks like, status quo no longer. Coasting along, friends, is good for fuel efficiency in your car. It is no good for the Christian life. Peter is waking us up, calling us out of this kind of coasting Christianity. Now you might say, Andrew, there is a phrase that Jesus used that seems to be slightly at odds with what Peter is saying. And it is a phrase, it might be your life motto. It's a beautiful phrase. It's it's a good phrase. Do you remember when Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? Yeah. How is it true that Christ's yoke is easy and burden is light and I am now supposed to make every effort? Maybe you can see how they come together. I think it is explainable. Jesus says he has a yoke and a burden. It's there. Every yoke, every burden calls for some effort, but his Yoke is easy and his burden is light because he has given us everything that we need to live this Christian life, to walk this journey. He has put the all-powerful Holy Spirit in us. Indeed, that is the difference in that context in Matthew 11. Jesus is contrasting following him, living this life of devotion to God with the Pharisees who were calling people to live in devotion to God, but without the power And that was my journey growing up, trying to, raise, trying to live the Christian life on my own. It was a frustrating, legalistic, overwhelming, shameful, guilt-ridden life. Then when things changed, man, when the Holy Spirit came inside, it's, it is like the wind is set in the sails and the Spirit of God moves us along. This text, I think you'll find, is so encouraging. It is a clear summons and call. It's also very encouraging because Peter goes on to talk about being confident in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And he says, if you want to grow in your confidence in your relationship with Christ, don't look for perfection, but look for effort. In fact, I'll just acknowledge to you that when doubts creep into my life, and I know preachers are never supposed to have doubts, when doubts uh, uh, creep into my life as even a preacher, 
It's because the effort isn't there. There's no real seriousness about walking this Christian journey. Peter says, don't look for perfection. Don't look for arrival. Look for growth. Look for increase, maturity, making hard, sacrificial decisions. Brothers and sisters, it is a great privilege for us to live out this drama of redemption, to show to a watching world what Christ would look like if he were here. That's our calling. But because of this, there's at least three more just quick ideas, very bad ideas that we're tempted to believe and preach to ourselves that we have to reject. The first one is this. The Christian life is a kingdom cakewalk. I don't know if you were saved in a tradition where Jesus saved you and then life was all supposed to go simple, easy, comfortable, cool. We're chilling. That ain't the gospel. Jesus says instead, following me is like this. Deny yourself, something none of us instinctively do. Take up your cross. Be prepared to die for this and follow me with a kind of reckless, obsessed abandon. Oh, it's the opposite of coasting along. And it's the opposite of a cakewalk. We have our flesh still to resist inside of us. We have a world that is ever so alluring around us. We have a devil that hates the way of Christ. Jesus says, I've given you what you need. It is going to call for devoted, focused effort. The Christian life is no kingdom cakewalk. The other bad idea is this. Jesus, take the wheel. Okay, now if that's your favorite song, cool. You sing it. What I mean to say, and frankly, sort of type A control freak kind of people need to surrender and let Jesus have the wheel. But oftentimes that gets over into our Christian journey where we think of the Christian life as Jesus just taking the wheel. He's got it. I can trust him. Therefore, I'll step back, relax, and enjoy the ride. That is not the call. The final one is this. And man, is it American. I got this. I'm good. Look at the growth that I have realized, taking way too much credit to ourselves. That kind of heroism is, is heresy. He has given us everything we need for a godly life. I suspect many of us in this room would look at the Apostle Paul, his devotion to Christ, his willingness to live day in and day out for Christ, and we would want to follow him in that. After all of that growth and so much sacrifice for Christ, do you remember how Paul describes, even defines his, himself? He says, I am what I am by the grace of God. Not merely by grit and determination, but Paul exhibited a great deal of grit and determination. Paul says, I am what I am by grace. And we need a reminder of that. Brothers, gentlemen in particular, I just want to invite you in view of this text of Scripture, I want to invite you to recharge your spiritual effort because 
everyone is saying the same thing. Every sociological study of Christianity, evangelical Christianity or religion in general says the same thing. How uh, dad goes, so goes the home. Crazy, passionate moms are awesome. Praise God. And ladies, that's you. But what everyone is finding is that as we want our children to follow Christ, it comes down to, I know you feel the pressure, Dad. And I know if you're anything like me, come 5.30 or 6 p.m., I'm exhausted mentally and emotionally spent. I am ready to kick back. Because you've put a lot of effort I hope every effort that you can into your work because your boss deserves it. Spend a lot of effort on a lot of other good stuff, good things, hobbies, sports, great. What I want to just warn us against is that in all the efforts, in all the other areas of life that we leave no serious effort to grow in our relationship with Christ. I want to remind you, you heard Dan emphasize two great options, Wednesday morning at 7 o'clock, Thursday at 8, gospel-oriented relationships on Wednesday starting this week. This might be your at least a little bit effort step forward. The book of Titus on Thursday, Titus is one of the few books in the Bible that has explicit exhortations to older men and to younger men explicitly. Brothers, I want to invite you to jump into one of those studies. Just show up this Wednesday or Thursday right here. I want to invite you to that. But for all of us, I just want to ask that question. I think that Peter leaves us with is, are we too comfortable? Have we grown to be a little spiritually flabby? Way too soft and comfortable. Take it easy. Kicked back. Enjoying the ride. Is there an area in your life, your spiritual life, that exhibits this kind of exertion. Well, I just want to encourage you, maybe find one. Maybe find one of these virtues and say, you know what, I'm going to brainstorm and creative think, creatively think, if I could have more of that in my life, what would it look like and what does it take to get there? And I want to invite you to that level of exertion. When you and I stand before Jesus and he receives us into his eternal kingdom, we will never regret any effort that we have laid on the line for him. Brothers and sisters, let every grace, every grace fuel every effort. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for this word from Peter. I pray, Lord, that we'd hear it. We'd hear it rightly, that it would move us, that it would move us to action that it would move us to want the things that you want, that it would move us to bask in your grace and mercy. You're so, so kind to us, so, so patient with us, so, so generous with us. You have given us all that we need for this life and for the life to come. Lord Jesus Christ, you are our only hope for growing as a follower of you. Thank you, Lord God, for the spirit that you have given to us to empower us to walk this road. Lord, I pray for brothers and sisters here that are 
living this kind of life, making every effort. I pray, Lord, that this would just encourage them and confirm, yes, this is it. The Christian life is no simple cakewalk. I ask you, Lord, for some of us who are doing some things but not much, that you would wake us up and strengthen us to make every effort to grow. For some of us who have kind of plateaued and are kicked back, I ask you, Lord God, that you would bring us to confess that honestly, that our relationship with you is secondary. It's not all that important, but we want it to be. And I pray, Lord Jesus Christ, that you would give the grace necessary for all gathered to live this Christian journey. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.